Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome to Out With Dan. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with Ripley Hayes about an allotment of time and the other books that she has written. Welcome, Ripley. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. I know because I've read your work and I also uh, read your bio on your autobiography that you live in the woods of Wales. And what prompted you to move to Wales or maybe out into the woods? Were you in Wales before? No, I've lived in Wales for just under 20 years. Um, as you can see, that's not from birth. Um, <laughs> but I moved here for a job to Wales. And then about seven years ago, my employer, a university, gave me an offer I couldn't refuse, which was money to leave. So I said, well, if you put it like that, then I need to leave. And I spent the money on um, this cabin that you can see around. Um, Lovely. And it's actually, although it's on a holiday park, so there are other cabins here, it's a very heavily wooded area. Um, and the cabins have sort of been dropped at random into the woods. And it's many people say things about living amongst trees and i would say oh well you know that's just a bit of woo and um you know it's all kind of new age nonsense but actually it isn't it's very peaceful living among the trees and it's i can hear birds from four in the morning until just before well, actually after i've gone to bed that you can hear the owls um setting out on their murderous quests <laughs> so it's actually a lovely 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 place to live and it's the probably the place that i feel most at home oh it, that's a nice thing everywhere everywhere i've ever lived which is a lot of places um i just find it incredibly peaceful and also it's a very small cabin about maybe 300 square feet which you know counts probably as a tiny house and it's there's only me i have lots of friends here but i can you know close the door and apart from my two dogs uh, speak to no one and just write so i have I this fabulous that. life <laughs> that is wonderful i will say that if you're going to be asked to leave somewhere like the university it is always nice to be given money to go away yes. so i commend them on that part <laughs> so i loved i loved this book and I, you know, and I'll tell everyone else that I, after reading An Allotment of Time, which is the sixth book in the Daniel Owen series, I went back and I started with the first book. Um, the sixth one is so, well, will you explain what an allotment is first, and then we'll get into the mechanics of the book. Okay. So an allotment is something that is um, very common in Britain in England and Wales specifically, um, the 
local authorities in England and Wales are obliged by law to provide plots where people can grow food. And every town and village will have a, 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 some, a field, uh, usually within the boundaries of the uh, settlement, which is divided into small plots um, and people can rent them. And the, the rents are usually very, very low, maybe 20 pounds a year. Um, oh, okay. And you are obliged to grow food. You, you're not supposed to grow and it, it, you're obliged to grow food for your own family. So you're not uh, not allowed to grow food commercially. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Um, and they're very much, um, they go in and out of fashion. <laughs> so sometimes they're very trendy and, you know, lots of young people are like, oh, I'm going to have an allotment and grow food. Um, and sometimes they're just allowed to, you know, they'll be a decade where they're not fashionable and they'll just all be overgrown and there'll be a few kind of old guys with, you know, lovely vegetables grown in rows and full of disappointment that nobody <laughs> else is using the plots. <laughs> that they're one very, of the... very part of, of British life, but not they're not for everyone. All right. Well, and I, having grown up out in the country, we had a garden and I can tell you that while the food coming out of a garden is magnificent because it's fresh, it's here, it's now, it's a lot of work. Weeds grow quicker oh, yeah. than vegetables or fruit. So if you're going to have a nice garden, you have to work at it. I will say that my mom had one thing that she would say. The reason she had probably one of the prettiest gardens in town is because she said she knew when she planted a bean, she was getting a bean. She wasn't <laughs> yes. getting a tomato. And my mom was a bit of a control freak, but it worked out well because she could concentrate on it and it worked well for her. I, however, was a wee bit lazy, so maybe not so much for me. I don't do any gardening at all. That's another thing about living here is I don't have a garden because all the, you know, it's just woodland. I, there are uh, um, brambles that I can eat in the autumn. There's nuts in the autumn that I can pick up. There's wild garlic out at the moment, but I, nice. I am too lazy to garden. <laughs> you and I both. If you're going to write during the day, it's hard to garden during the day and write as well. So exactly. one of the things that I really loved about Daniel, uh, the main character, is his love for his home, uh, his allotment, oh, yeah. but his property. So that the property figures into the story. And it was something that um, something that happens with D.I. Carey is they go to the property and I got the feeling from Daniel that he felt violated. And I can certainly understand why, because you've created a character that loves the land and loves his environment. He's, um, one of the things about Wales is the property here is much cheaper than it is elsewhere in, the, in mainland Britain. Okay. Uh, not so much now, because obviously prices are going insane, but it's been a place that has attracted people who are a little bit alternative and who want to live off the land. Now, I have my opinions about, um, if you like, a return to subsistence farming, which is not for me at all. You know, I've already <laughs> said I'm too lazy for that. But it is a thing and it's the Welsh government 
has introduced um, a ser series of planning regulations that allow people to live off the land um, and for planning restrictions to be relaxed. So there is very much a culture in parts of Wales, including the part where I live, to do a bit or to be a bit alternative. Um, I mean, it's probably difficult for many US listeners to understand because obviously in the US, it's much more common for people to say, okay, I'm going to go and find a plot of land in Wisconsin or, or rural Texas or, and I'm going to live there and nobody's going to tell me what to do. That doesn't happen here. <laughs> um, I laugh because unless you go far out into the woods, it doesn't happen here either. I think people have a romantic idea of what living and subsisting off the land would be. But I think the reality is, you know, to get a crop to grow, you have to buy the seedlings, you have to buy uh, mm -hmm. the fertilizer, the manure, the whole nine yards. I mean, there's a lot to it and you have to work it. It's like, it doesn't, you may plant a potato, but you have to work at it to keep it growing. Um, oh, that sure. is, a, it's but a nice the, thing if that's your bag. I'd just rather go to the grocery store personally. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> I, I sort of feel like we've we've earned the right to go to the grocery store. Now, if, uh, and I don't want to disparage anyone who farms, whether it's gardening or a real farm, I think that's wonderful. It takes a lot of a lot of hard work um but i love the convenience that we have in life that's a pretty darned awesome thing to me and it's uh, um i mean i have some opinions about um you know drenching the land in chemicals and stealing all the water and so on and so forth but yes farming is much more efficient than us growing, you know, us each having an acre of land and, and growing our own potatoes and so on and so forth. And I want to drink coffee and eat chocolate and I can't grow those things. And, you you and know, I, I might both. make my own bread, but I don't grow my own wheat. Right. So. Totally agree. Totally agree. So I do want to talk about Daniel and Mal. I love their relationship. You have done such a beautiful job yeah. with that. I like both the sexuality of their relationship, which is important to pat you on the back about because a lot of authors don't want to have sex in their uh, stories. Some may want to have a lot. I felt that you had, it was just enough and it was very loving and it was very kind. They're very kind to each other, which is something I find as a reader to be very important to me. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Now um, tell me, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say I'm very flattered because clearly I'm writing outside my own personal experience, although I do have a lot of gay male friends and I do ask them. <laughs> um, obviously I have, you know, I'm, I'm a lesbian, I'm, I have, I understand, you know, what it is to be a queer person, but, you know, I've never had, I've never been a man. I've never had sex with, <laughs> as a man with another man. So, well, so, for someone who has, you did a good I'm job. I'm entirely comfortable with and I do try to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> you have done a good job at it. Congratulations.
Do you have, so I know that you have other, um, you have other series as well. Do you have one that features a lesbian? I do. I've written the first book um, and it's a, uh, The reason, I mean, taking a step back, the reason I, I started writing about men was because, A, I like reading those, you know, those stories. I like Gregory Ashe, I like C.S. Poe, I like um, Austin Thomas Burton's work, I like Marshall Thornton's work. I like lots of those books. Um, but long before I started reading those books, I had a, a, a friend of mine who is a, a writer and she was interviewed and she wanted, she said, I've written this particular book from a male perspective because I didn't want people to think it was autobiography. Um, and so I had all these ideas about writing um, stories and I thought, well, I don't want people to think I'm writing about myself. So I thought, well, it's, it's that's okay. I'll just write about a queer man. Um, and then it kind of took off and, and became very much part of that whole genre of, of, of gay mysteries. So as my confidence as a writer has grown, I've started thinking, well, okay, if I write about a woman or from a female perspective, nobody's going to think it's about me um, because I'm nothing like any of the characters that I write about because I'm old, I'm quite disabled. Um, I, I don't, you know, I've never been a detective. Um, I've read a lot of detective stories, but I've never been one. You know, I was a university lecturer. I taught sociology. So, you know, I, I'm nothing like these people. The only thing I have in common with them is I live in Wales. <laughs> so I have written a female detective. Um, and again, she's nothing like me, but um, I've really enjoyed writing it and I will carry on. But Ooh. at the same time, I kind of, I want people to read my stuff. So I'm enjoying writing from a male perspective too. I like that. And I think um, one of the things that we're fortunate with in today's world is uh, fluidity. So one of the things that we see is not just in sexuality, but just in a person, we see a lot of fluidity being emphasized and discussed and talked about. Um, I, my favorite color is probably pink. I wear a lot of pink, a lot of red, a lot of purple. Um, you know, it's if you wear blue or black or brown or gray, it really doesn't matter. It's simply a color. But those colors for so mm. long have been associated with a male or a female or someone who's butch or femme or whatever that is. One of the wonderful things is we're beginning to see that no matter what sex we are assigned at or what we identify with, if we are a good author, we can write about anybody. It doesn't have to be pigeonholed. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I do. It's often, I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, it's often debated, you know, why are, why are women writing men? Why are men writing women? Why are straight people writing gay characters? I think if you, I mean, I have, I've written um, characters of color um, and I have consulted my friends. I have written Muslim characters. I have consulted my Muslim friends and I've done a lot of reading. I've researched. But writing books is, or writing fiction is fiction. It's not real. Yes. Yes. If I That's... was writing, you know, if I was writing 
as I used to write when I was an academic, you know, if every fact is checked, every reference is given, it's wonderfully freeing to write stories. I and love these are, writing stories. Yes, and these are characters that you've created. You're not telling a history of some monarch in the past. You're creating a character and you're giving them a voice. And once again, I really enjoy Mal and Daniel because they have a voice, but they're a team. And that is beautiful. And it doesn't matter whether you're two men, two women, man and woman. It simply is these two are a great team together. They're different and similar. And that's a good thing, at least for the reader. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I think that um, as... I've had lots of arguments with friends about, you know, well, Daniel does this and Daniel does that. And he's, you know, he's, he's slept with people who aren't Mal and Mal's gone off and done other things. And I think, well, okay, maybe that's not exactly how the genre works, but it's how people work. And I think, um, you know, they, they fall out, they split up, they sleep with someone else. That's how people that's are. That's human. That's human nature. Everybody. Everyone. Everyone. And while not everyone may go out and have sex with someone else, they go out and they form a, a bond of some sort with someone else. And then they may return to where they were before. It is a fact of life. And for anyone who doesn't like it, I suspect they're not being 100% honest because it's like we are humans. We do things to protect ourselves. And um, sometimes to do crazy things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my parents have been married for getting on for 70 years. And I well, suspect yeah. there have been no dalliances along the way. But other people are different. Yes. So you could yes. write equally accurately that, you know, these people met, they fell in love and they never, never turned away. So I just wanted yeah. to write about people, ordinary people. I totally love it. I really, really enjoyed your books. I'm, I've ordered No Friends. I have not started it yet. So that's in a different <laughs> series of yours, right? Yes. All right. I challenged myself to write something that wasn't Daniel and Mal. And I have learned a lot from writing it. <laughs> that's, um, that's a, you know, <laughs> you can always return to Daniel and Mal anytime you want. So I'll be there to read it. So oh, whatever. I'm writing them now. I'm, I'm oh, good. Book seven now. Oh, wonderful. And how many have you published so far? What is your, not uh, just Daniel, but. Six, there are six Daniel and Mal's. There are two uh, Thor, uh, Lorne and Peter. Um, cozy mysteries that have got uh, they're quite different okay um, and there is one uh, Tima Crow book which is about the female which has a female protagonist and I'm thinking about uh, a replace not a replacement for Daniel and Mal but another longer series with um, with, with with a gay detective um, because because I, I just think, I guess you kind of, there's a point at which 
much as you love those characters, there has to be conflict. For the book to be interesting, there has to be conflict. And I'm thinking, you know, Daniel and Mal are kind of getting married and they're, um, they're, they haven't finished with their problems yet, as you will discover mm -hmm. in book seven, if you read it or if anybody reads it, they, they haven't finished with their problems. But there's, they are kind of reaching an accommodation. They're starting to, to, to find, you know, Daniel has, is no longer a policeman, although obviously he's still solving problem murders. Um, and I guess they're getting older, things are settling for them. And I don't want to keep creating problems that maybe, maybe in, in 10 years time, they'll have a different set of problems. But now they're kind of overcoming the, the problems that have led them to this point, I hope. Yeah, I, I think so. I and I'm looking forward to number seven already. <laughs> <laughs> so write, write faster. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, Ripley, thank you so much for joining me. I have had such a wonderful time. Um, do you have social media or a website that you would like to share? Um, my website is utterly awful, so I'm not going to share it, but I do post on Facebook most days and you can find okay. me at Ripley Hayes author. Perfect. But I'm getting well, a website. I am. <laughs> I'm going to what, decided I can spend my time writing or I can learn how to set up a website. So I'm going to pay someone to set up a website. It can take a lot of work because trust me, mine's a little behind as well. So <laughs> <laughs> there will be no, there will definitely be no judgment from me on that aspect. So uh, Ripley, once again, thank you so much for joining me. And if you'll hang on, I'll be right back with you. Thank, thank you. you. I've loved it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us with Out With Dan. See you soon. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com on Twitter at OutWithDan, and on Instagram and Facebook at GoOutWithDan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan. <laughs>